In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today is uh, the second Sunday of Easter. And for us, it has been at least seven days since we have been here. That is true of our Easter story, but it is not true of the original Easter story. And I think it's important for us to see this and to notice it, because otherwise our reading, our experience here in the gospel passage this morning might be distorted. You see, last week on Easter, on Easter Sunday, uh, we read a passage that is probably very familiar to us. Uh, that Mary comes to uh, the tomb and she is coming there to mourn the loss of Jesus. And when she arrives, his body is not there. The tomb is open. The stone has been rolled away. And an angel tells her that, that he has been risen. And she goes and she tells the other disciples. Now, I don't know if she goes and tells all 12 disciples, but I know that John and Peter are there and receive the message and they come to the tomb and they witness what she has told them. They arrive and they look inside the tomb and the burial clothes are neatly folded and the tomb, uh, the, the rock, the stone is rolled away. And they see and they believe And their minds are open to understand the things that the scripture had predicted and that Jesus had taught them. And Mary is outside. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the scripture. And she is still weeping because she has not seen what the other disciples have seen just yet. And a man approaches her and she believes him to be the gardener. Jesus' identity is Uh, mistaken so many times after his resurrection. It is just interesting to note that. And she does not recognize him until he calls her by her name, Mary. And she responds by calling him teacher. And then the events of what would come next begin to unfurl. He tells her first not to hold on to him because he is about to ascend to his father. But he tells Mary that she should go ahead of him to go and to tell his brothers or the disciples that he is about to ascend to the Father. This is the first 18 verses of chapter 20. And today we pick up, not seven days later, but a few hours later in chapter or in verse 19. On the very same day that the resurrection has occurred, the disciples are gathered together in a house and their doors are not only shut, but they are locked. It's interesting to me, and I don't want to belabor the point from last week because you've already heard that sermon, but it's just so interesting to me how different their experience of Easter was than our experience of Easter. The disciples are unsure of their future. They don't know what's happened. They've witnessed the death of their Lord and their friends, and they are gathered in this house because they don't know what's about to happen to them. Not only are they afraid that the people who have killed Jesus might come and do the same to them, but now they are even more afraid because his body has went missing and they are afraid that they are going to be the ones accused of stealing his body. The disciples are very unsure of how their future is going to unfurl and how much future they even have left. And so they are gathered there really fearing for their own lives. And then Jesus does something that is kind of mean. 
Because these 12 grown men are already afraid and then he just appears in their midst, right? Jesus is kind of a prankster here a little bit. He just appears in their midst and he says to them, peace be with you. Now, these disciples up until this point were gathered together and only two of them have seen any indication that there was any kind of resurrection. And I think that you and I read into this story, uh, or maybe we read out of it some of the weirdness or the strangeness because we are used to the story. We have heard it so many times. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. You have seen one of your loved ones pass away. You have seen your loved one buried. And then two of your family members or friends come and say that your family member has been resurrected. These disciples... Like if we just put ourselves into their shoes, they're not sure what to think. They probably think that John and Peter and Mary have absolutely lost it. And then they turn around and Jesus is standing in their midst. And he says to them, peace be with you. And then he begins to show them his hands and his side, verifying for them that they are not imagining this, that this is not some sort of group hallucination Like, I am actually here in your midst. I am resurrected. This is actually happening. And then he begins to tell them that his father who has sent him into the world, that he is about to do the very same for them. That he is going to send them into the world. In other words, there is more work to do. Church, if, if you gather anything from these last couple of weeks, what I hope that you know is that Easter is not just accomplished in one Sunday. It's not something that we only celebrate once a year. It's not something that occurred 2,000 years ago and we don't ever have to worry about it again. But Easter is, the work of Easter is unfurling. It is constantly coming to be in our world. It is becoming more and more present in our reality when we participate in it. Jesus again tells them, peace be with you, and then he's gone. Just like he is for those 40 days that he is present after his resurrection, he appears for just a few moments at a time, and then he is gone. And in this story, he appears again a week later, a week later in this same house. This time the doors are shut, but they are not locked. In other words, the disciples are coming a little bit out of their shell This time, Thomas is with them, the one disciple who was missing from the equation at the first appearance. The same disciple who would not believe what the other disciple said unless he saw it with his own eyes, unless he got to touch the wounds with his own hands. And then once again, Jesus magically, mystically appears in their midst and once again gives them the same greeting that he had greeted them twice with before, Peace be with you. He comes to Thomas and he offers his hand and his side. And Thomas responds by saying, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And then as though he is breaking the fourth wall with us, the audience, he says, blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have come to belief This statement speaking to people who had come to faith for years and years, for centuries and millennia afterwards, those of us who would gather Easter after Easter, those of us who have not seen the resurrection with our own eyes, at least not physically, and yet we have come 
to belief. It's interesting to me. These disciples gathered in this place with Jesus on these two different occasions. And perhaps it's because I live after the Enlightenment and I assume that I'm going to get scientific answers to everything. But it kind of bothers me that Jesus gives no explanation to these people who love him. Something miraculous has happened, and he offers them no explanation. Surely they must have been filled with questions. Did you actually die? Were you suffering in the tomb for three days? Was it all an illusion? Was it a mistake? What in the world happened? Are you okay? And Jesus offers none of this. In the face of uncertainty and of miracle, Jesus simply says, peace be with you. And he reminds them of the same promise that he made to them at the, last supper, at the Last Supper back in chapter 14, where he promised them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. It is almost as though Jesus knew in advance the emotions and experiences that these disciples would be feeling just less than 24 hours after the resurrection. I love this story. I love this story because it reminds the disciples and us today that the work of Christianity and the work of salvation and the work of Easter is not completed. There is more to do. And I don't usually name my sermons, but today in my notebook, I wrote a little note at the top. You probably can't see this. But it says this, safety not guaranteed. Safety not guaranteed. This really should be the slogan of Christianity. And perhaps my one gripe with modern Christianity is that we guarantee a little bit too much. Come to faith and suddenly your life will make sense. Come to faith and no bad things will happen to you anymore. Come to faith and suddenly you'll know exactly how everything is going to happen and you will have knowledge that no one else has. Come to faith and you will experience comfort and safety and certainty and you will no longer have to wrestle with doubt. And yet when we witness the life of the disciples at the first Easter, what we see is the exact opposite. They were not comfortable or certain they were not sure that they were safe. They had locked themselves away. And so, church, I believe that we should believe the witness of Scripture and not the slogans that we've created to make ourselves feel good about the church that we attend today. Faith does not always bring comfort or safety or certainty. In fact, faith does not even bring us personal salvation, and we see this in the Scripture today. But instead, in Easter we find an invitation not to personal salvation, but in the, the participation of the salvation of the world. In other words, Easter and salvation is bigger than you and me and bigger than just my life being okay or your life being okay, but the work of Easter is ongoing. And the message of Easter from Jesus is come and join me. Come and join me in the great cleanup of the world. There is still more work to do, and you can be part of it. And my hope is, church, that we will always be brave enough to answer yes, even when our safety is not guaranteed.
Amen.